You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, delivering sermons, lectures, and interviews from around the English-speaking world. We're speaking with Father John McFarland this week. But before we get started, don't forget to tell a friend about the SSPX Podcast. In fact, it's one of the best gifts that you can give someone, the beauty and truth of traditional Catholicism and questions answered on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. Just search SSPX in your favorite podcast app or program. Well, this time with Father McFarland, we will continue the discussion that we started with him last time about vocations. We'll dive in a little bit more to the qualifications and sometimes the impediments for becoming a Roman Catholic priest. Also, we will answer some listener questions. Someone asked, is it actually sinful if a priest celebrates the new Mass? And we will explore some of the rich traditions that have crept up in faithful's devotions. Is it proper to make the sign of the cross after receiving Holy Communion? What about taking holy water after leaving a church? Some of these traditions and practices happen throughout time. We'll put some of them to rest and explain whether they're wrong, whether they're right, or whether they're really neither. The answers to these questions and more begins now. Well, we're here with Father McFarland. Hello, Father. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you very much. Good. We're talking a few days after Thanksgiving. Hope your Thanksgiving weekend was good. It was. Good. Did you get any um, cassocks on Black Friday? I did not. <laughs> Sorry. Dumb tried, joke. Tried to stay away from stores as much as possible. <laughs> that's, that's probably smart. Well, uh, last time we talked, Father, um, you opened up by talking about vocations. Um, and that is something that, that is something you are interested in and, and have a great love for. Um, obviously, you're a priest, but also just on the topic itself. I wanted to dive a little more deeply into the vocation to the priesthood. Uh, and we talked last time about how there's not necessarily a calling, like a ray of light from above or anything like that, but there must be some material or um, practical aspects to the vocation. Someone is either suitable or or good for the vocation to the priesthood or not. Could you talk about some of the necessary requisites? Well, in, in order to, to become a priest, uh, there are are, uh, are various things required. Certainly, um, one has to have acquired the knowledge necessary um, in order to to function as a priest. One has to be able to to say mass, of course, administer the sacraments. One has to have uh, sufficient knowledge of philosophy and theology uh, in order to instruct the faithful and and so on. Um, one has to have given some evidence of uh, living a life of virtue um, and not having any uh, habits of, of mortal sin, for example. Uh, one also must have a, a degree of prudence, not just prudence for oneself, that's required of everyone, but also prudence in, in governing others. Uh, it applies in the confessional, but also in the, in the running of a, of a parish or uh, directing souls. Uh, those things are very important. Um, and it's, uh, it's important, too, to point out that, that many of those things, uh, not everything, but many of those things are are, can be acquired at the seminary, right? Certainly you don't go to the seminary already having the requisite knowledge. I don't think anybody right. turns up um, knowing how to say mass. Uh, so you have to, to enter the seminary, the, the requirements are, are not so, so stringent. One, uh, one has to have um, solid, normal mental and physical health. One has to um, uh, have a certain aptitude for study. Um, if it's clear that, that 
someone doesn't um, and doesn't have the, the basic skills of reading and writing and, and sure. re reasoning and those kinds of things, then, uh, then what wouldn't be a good, good subject to, to enter the seminary. Um, but to, to enter the seminary, no, no special, again, there's no special call. The call for the priest comes at the, the, the moment of his, uh, his ordination at his ordination and the, um, to enter the seminary, uh, one has to have the, the, the right dispositions, the right intention, um, the desire to, to pursue a supernatural goal, particularly to work for the salvation of souls and one's own salvation and, uh, and to have the, the sort of minimum requirements of, um, mental and physical health and, and the capacity for study. Okay. So, so when you say the capacity for study, the, the priesthood or the seminary training, that could almost be, uh, compared to an undergraduate degree or even a graduate degree in, in what we would consider our, our four-year colleges here in the States, right? Yes, I think it's equivalent to a, you know, sort of undergraduate degree that, that takes a long time. I think mm -hmm. most things are, uh, most of the classes are at about that level. There's not the degree of specialization that one usually sees in, uh, in graduate courses. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's the same, it's the same, same sort of, sort of aptitude, I would say. Yeah. And perhaps a, a little more uh, stringent than a lot of, colleges and universities are these days right, right. yeah you're not going to have uh you're not going to have dorm life <laughs> that same kind of equivalent well but even in the studies you know you're, you're right. uh you're not going to be able to to you know boost your gpa with uh with underwater basket weaving or, <laughs> or three credits of bowling right right okay now you said at the beginning that someone needs to be of, of solid moral character you know not habitually falling into mortal sin how would here in the states again father larue is the head of the seminary uh, in in virginia he receives applications i'm sure how does he know um if he doesn't personally know a young man well the the there has to be a, a letter of recommendation um the a, a priest has to uh has to write that letter of recommendation and so the priest has to to know the young man in question um and so there, there, he has to have been a parishioner for a while or spend some time in a priory or that kind of thing so that the priest can observe him. I mean, obviously there are things that can be concealed, um, sure. but, but for the most part, uh, you know, if there are certain, certain obvious things, um, or, uh, anything that's public, then that would uh, come to the priest's, um, awareness. And then, um, you know, the, the, then it's on the young man to, to be honest in terms of, you know, if he does have some hidden habit of sin, sure. that is, uh, that's going to be problematic for him not to present himself as a candidate. Okay. Uh, now, one thing that, that I found interesting, and maybe you could speak to this a little bit, and that is uh, when the decision is made by the, by the professors and the seminary rector uh, about whether or not a candidate is to be ordained. Obviously, he's already going to be at the seminary for a while and, and has put himself up for ordination to the diaconate or to the priesthood. Uh, that that's an interesting process where uh, the spiritual director even leaves the room. Is is that correct? Uh, he doesn't necessarily leave the room, but he's not allowed to comment um, because it's a it's something in what we call the external forum, a decision made um, outside of questions of conscience, and because the superior the spiritual director is aware of those uh, matters of conscience, he's not allowed to. To, to give his opinion. So it's as it appears to those who don't know the, the conscience of the, the, uh, the one in question. So similar to the, to the workings of the, of the seal of, the, of confession. It, it's the same basic idea, yes. Right. So uh, someone who's in the seminary, a seminarian, does not need to fear about going to his spiritual director for advice on matters of conscience. He's not going to be able to say, 
oh, he's not going to let me become a priest if I confess this. Right. That's just out of the question. Right. Well, the 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 director can can tell the young man if it's a serious enough matter, you you should not continue at the seminary because okay. of this. But he cannot make that information public even to the other professors. Right. That's fascinating. Um, and one more question on the matter of age. So is there an age limit or too young, too old? There's a, there's not a strict age limit. I would say, you know, the, um, one really can't enter until after having graduated high school mm -hmm. these days, there used to be minor seminaries, which were, were, uh, were high school. And so, um, we don't generally see ordinations before the age of 24 at the very earliest. Okay. Um, and there is the general guideline for someone entering the seminary is that he be under 35, but exceptions can be made to that for, uh, for good reasons. What you don't want is some guy, you know, turning 40, seeing that he's not married and saying, oh, well, I guess I'll give the priest a try. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not supposed to be the backup plan right. um, for people who have failed at life. Right. Okay. And I know I said last question, but I do have another, I have received this question before. And that is, you know, if, if someone to go to an extreme, uh, you know, I'm, I'm married, I have children, uh, you know, and I'm right about 35. Uh, let's say my wife and my children die in a terrible car accident and now I'm single. Can I enter the priesthood? Uh, it's certainly a possibility. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, again, not a backup plan. Not anything <laughs> that we would ever wish, but all right. Very interesting. Well, thank you, Father, for that. Um, speaking of the priesthood and, and your role, um, one of our questions this week is about uh, the celebration of Mass. Um, the questioner asked, would it be a mortal sin for a priest to say the Novus Ordo Mass if he has the knowledge, like you do, Father, being a, a priest of the SSPX, about all of the dangers inherent within the Novus Ordo Mass, would it be a mortal sin for you to do so? Uh, the short answer is yes. Okay. Um, the, our opposition to the Novus Ordo is not because it's um, it's ugly or it's um, annoying or it's stuck in the '60s, but because it, it's uh, it's defective on on questions that pertain directly to the faith. Um, I have a quote right here from the from Cardinal Sotaviani and Bacci in their, their, uh, their introduction to the, the critical study on the new mass, saying that the Novus Ordo represents both as a whole and in its details a striking departure from the Catholic theology of the mass as it was formulated in session 22 of the Council of Trent. And so that theology formulated by Trent is, is dogmatic. It's, it's a question of the faith. Um, and the Novus Ordo does not express that, which makes it... Um, not the the right expression of our faith and also a danger to our faith because it runs the risk of corrupting the that that knowledge that we do have um you know for example it, it changes the the no fundamental notion of the mass from a propitiatory sacrifice to a community meal mm -hmm. um and that's in the prayers themselves not just in turning the altar into a table and so on right um you also have the uh tremendous loss of respect for the the real presence uh, of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. The genuflections are greatly diminished. You're no longer required to, to uh, have gilded uh, vessels, uh, the ciborium and the chalice. You no longer have to be so careful with putting the pall over the chalice. Uh, all these kinds of things that, that detract from the, the, um, the reverence that is meant to be given to the Blessed Sacrament, which is really a profession of faith in the in, in our Lord's presence in that sacrament. Um, and then also you, there's a, there's a taking away from the, the, the role of the priest 
putting too much emphasis on the on the community, um, which again is a falsifying of the of the theology of the mass. So, what possible reason could there be to um, perform this action, this the, this rite that is uh, that is so defective? You know, that could justify it. I I don't think there is one. Okay. Now, I had talked with Father uh, Robinson a, a few episodes ago about one of our one of our listeners asked about. Uh, defending the use of the Latin Mass uh, and and countering the argument, well, you know, with quo primum, you know, the the popes are allowed to change the Mass and so forth, uh, and and basically Father Robinson said, you know, that that argument is not it's not necessarily a wrong argument; it's just not the right argument to use. Um, and if you want some more information on that, you can go back and listen to one of the other episodes. But the so the popes are allowed to change the Mass. It's it, essentially the concern that. The SSPX has, and the concern that the SSPX has is not necessarily that the popes change the mass, or that Paul VI, John the Twenty Third, and the Council changed the mass. It's how drastically it was changed, and the the specific things that were changed. Is that correct? Yes. And so the Council of Trent effectively said, um, you know, and then through through Coprimum and and Pius V, this mass, um, this mass that we call the Mass of, of Pius V, or the mm-hmm. Tridentine Mass, or which goes back, you know, many centuries further, is a perfect expression of Catholic belief in what takes place in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And the expression that's given by the Novus Ordo Mass is an expression of something different, a different sort of belief. It's not, it's taking away, detracting from that um, that belief. And that belief cannot be changed, right? right. There, there can be modifications made in, in, in liturgical rites. There cannot be modifications made in the faith. Right. So to, to use your example, for instance, Father, you, know, you said, you know, they're not so careful with covering the pall or genuflections are reduced. Um, if, if one of the popes wanted to change, you know, let's say the Vatican II never happened and, you know, the new mass never happened. If Pope Francis today, for instance, wanted to, well, you no longer need to take this specific action during the mass, it, that wouldn't necessarily be as problematic. It's more of all of these changes taken as a whole like you said, firstly reduces the the belief not firstly but reduces the belief that uh, in the true presence, but also it, it waters down the the liturgy in such a way that it it makes it almost Protestant. Yes. All right. Very interesting. Well, on that sort of note, when we're talking about liturgical practices or practices that faithful do during Mass, um, there seems to be a lot of confusion, and and maybe some of this is tradition in terms of where you live and the, the parish that you attend. Um, but there are some people, for instance, make the sign of the cross right after receiving Holy Communion. Um, and we receive a lot of questions on, is it okay for me to do this? Is it okay for me to, you know, I was told by a priest that you shouldn't take holy water after leaving the church. Is it okay for me to do that? Um, another person said, is it okay for me to uh, strike my breast during the Hail Holy Queen at the very end? Uh, those are sort of common practices. Um, can you set the record straight on, on some of these, I would call them ancillary items or maybe personal devotion items? Well, insofar as they are personal devotions, they're a question of the, the faithful and, and the faithful's assistance at, um, at Mass. We, we wouldn't say that they're, you know, certainly not sinful to say that they're wrong even is, is uh, perhaps a bit strong, um, you know, and certainly people do different things in different places. And even sure. there are uh, things that are worked into the liturgy in, in different places uh, over time that are, that are different. Um, nevertheless, you know, as, as 
St. Pius X said in, in his, his first motu proprio on sacred music, the liturgy is that foremost and, and indispensable font of acquiring the Christian spirit. I think we want as much as we can to try to, especially for, for assistance at mass and other liturgical functions, to enter into that spirit of the, of the Roman liturgy to let the church teach us how our, uh, our devotions should be. And so, for example, you know, we, we genuflect um, on our right knee, uh, touch the ground and come back up in the liturgy, which is how generally how most faithful genuflect when they, when they come into the church. Sure. Right? That's learning from the liturgy, uh, so to speak. Um, and uh, some of those things uh, that, that you mentioned, they, there is a, a liturgical practice that goes along with it. For example, when the priest enters uh, the church to say mass, he takes holy water. When he leaves the church, he does not. Okay. So the idea is the holy water is a, it's a symbolic uh, purification. Okay. Right. That he's he's preparing himself as he enters into this this holy place for the offering of this uh, um, this glorious sacrifice to Almighty God. And um, or even just you know as we as we enter to make a visit, you know we're we're entering into the presence of uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we're we're sort of purifying ourselves um, from our. Uh, our sins that sure. and and all worldly concerns to to focus on on him truly present so you you sort of lose that symbolism if it's just a question of every time i walk by the the holy water font i take some right and then some people do uh, go nuts with holy water you have you know <laughs> pious people who will take gallons of it and use it as drinking water and right. use it in their cooking and and that i would say is certainly in an excess and to be uh, to be discouraged right and i know he's going to tackle you if you uh if you're taking holy water as you leave the chapel but right, i think exactly. it, it better expresses the 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 faith um and the, what the church wants to convey when we uh when we take it only going in um making the sign of the cross after after holy communion it's a, it's a pious thing some people do it during the uh uh the consecration as well it's certainly not um forbidden it's uh, uh, it's not something that's done liturgically, so it's certainly not necessary. But it's uh, a pious practice that can be done. Um, I would say just with that, when making the sign of the cross after communion, if you're going to do it, be careful to do it slowly and not to whack the patent before the right. priest leaves. Yeah, I've, I've served mass for for years, and and that was always trying to move it out of the way before because you start to recognize the people that do make the sign of the cross when you're serving, and you go, All right, I've, I got to move fast because they do. Their hand flies up, so. And then striking the breast, of course, it's it's a a symbol of contrition. Okay. Um, and so we do it in the mass at those times where we're particularly expressing sorrow for our sins. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Okay. Dominion subdinius uh, said three times. Anius dei gutolis peccata mundi miserere nobis. So as we say, um, you know, have mercy on us. That's when we we strike the breast. Um, I think that because those expressions of contrition are often come in threes. It sort of became in some people's mind the thing that we do when there are three of something. Oh, okay. So it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to do it. You say, oh, Clemento, loving, oh, sweet Virgin Mary. It's a moment of, of praise of the Blessed Virgin, not a moment in which contrition is being expressed. Right. Um, so we're certainly not sorry that she's clement and loving and <laughs> right. sweet. Um, so I don't think it makes a lot of sense there. Again, you know, I'm not going to yell at anybody or throw them out of my church for doing it, but right. uh, I don't think it's it's particularly appropriate to to what that, that um, action, which is a liturgical action, is meant to represent. Okay. Uh, what about during the litany of the Sacred Heart, for instance? You know, that's, have mercy on us, said 20, right. 30, I, I don't know, 40 times or right. so. Uh, 
do you strike your breast at each one of those? I, I know we're getting into minutia of right. faith here, but yeah, and that's it's not liturgical. Okay. Um, so I mean, you you could, and it would be an expression of what's being said there, but uh, it's not the general practice. Okay, all right, fair enough. Well, it, and that's the thing. There's so many so many aspects of our faith that we can dive into. Um, and that's the beautiful part of it. We can we can dive into forty different parts of personal devotion, uh, and that's great. And also, you know, keep in mind too that, that personal devotions are just that they are personal. And uh, if something really helps us, you right, know, right. there we can can uh, we have a particular attraction, something that helps us to express our 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 faith, our our love for God, then uh, then we can certainly take advantage of it, even if it's a, a departure from what most people do. As long as we, we try to avoid any sort of ostentatious singularity or making displays of our piety in front of people. Right, exactly. It's because it, it turns into the, the publican and the Pharisee at that point. It certainly can, yes. Well, I, I just heard the bell for lunch ring, Father, so I should let you get going. But thank you so much for your time. Uh, look forward to speaking with you next time. And uh, any, any big plans coming up here in, uh, in Phoenix where you're the prior or anything that you're working on in particular? Oh, well, we're uh, going to be looking to um, to start adult catechism pretty soon. Oh, fantastic! Um, hopefully, at the in the new year, and uh, we're certainly looking looking forward to that. Trying to uh, you know raise the that that level of the understanding of the faith for for all of our faithful, not just for the kids. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there are retreats uh, just publicized for 2019 as well. Absolutely. So we we uh, this will be a year where we're doing um, Ignatian retreats as always, um, Marian retreats. And uh, we, we added a second um, marriage retreat to the calendar for this year because last year the, the one that we had scheduled was, was so popular. We had more people on the waiting list than we had attending the retreat. So Fantastic. Well, maybe we can speak about that next time as well, maybe with you or with Father Hanos, who's the retreat master here, um, and discuss a little bit more about retreats as well because that would be uh, it's something that everyone should look into. Absolutely. That'd be great. All right. Well, thank you for your time, Father. My pleasure. All right. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate the podcast so that more people can hear the beauty and truth of traditional Catholicism. For more news, resources, and updates, you can visit the U.S. District website at sspx.org or the English news website of the Society at fsspx.news.